Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Do you struggle to manage high-pressure situations and customer complaints while keeping calm and focused? Are you responsible for managing high-performing teams and want to ensure that they stay engaged and committed to delivering exceptional customer service at all times? When I say customers, by the way, I'm referring to internal and external to your organization. Well, if your answer is yes, then this episode is a must listen. My featured guest, Jackie, is a core researcher and practitioner in the field of sustainable human development and performance, and is also a leader at McKinsey Health. She offers valuable insights backed by research studies on how to stay deliberately calm and lead with confidence to thrive and succeed, even in the most challenging, difficult situations. You'll learn about the importance of the adaptability paradox and ways to get executive buy-in for investing in employee well-being and creating a calming work environment that produces real impact for companies and the people they serve. Please share this episode with others who can benefit. Leave me a review as feedback is a gift and subscribe to my newsletter to get more helpful tips at doingcxright.com. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Jackie. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Hi, Stacey. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I am truly grateful. I love what you're doing. I love that you are such an important woman leader with a message and the audience is going to hear this shortly. So let's start with who are you? What do you do professionally? So yeah, professionally, uh, I focus on employee health and well-being. Uh, I'm a co-leader at the McKinsey Health Institute. And um, one day a week, I'm also an academic. I actually uh, research resilience and adaptability. And why your passion around these topics? So I really care about uh, health and well-being, but also uh, compassion and kindness uh, and um, humanity in organizations. Uh, I care about that also because I believe very strongly that you can become better organizations if you focus Mm -hmm. on this. Um, and there's a part of me that uh, is also personal. Uh, I have uh, suffered with anxiety um, most of my life and uh, had a confidence crisis about eight years ago. Um, did a TED talk on that and talked about what that meant. And so since then, I've been learning and researching a lot about this topic. And I learned that I was not alone. Um, but I also learned that you can learn that you can develop skills to manage this. And um, so it um, it comes from a personal place, but really also a big heart for kindness and compassion. And, uh, and I think the world will be a better place if we focus a bit more on that. I love that you share there's personal stories behind this because I believe that when we come from that space, it's real, it's authentic, and you're giving to others based on what's real for you. And that's just the best way to live life. 
I totally agree, Stacey. Mm. <laughs> and not only uh, is it um, inspiring and interesting and fun, it's also good for your health. So it's a win-win. <laughs> yes, your why is very clear. What's a fun fact that people may or may not know about you? Um, a couple of fun facts. Uh, um, I'm a mother of twins, which is a lot of fun, um, and married to a South African. Mm. Um, living in Luxembourg, and this is our fifth country that we live in. So we are really um, travelers, and um, and we love learning from different cultures and uh, and uh, learning learning about different people and ways of living. Mm, I believe we're a life lifetime learners. So I love that you said that. Uh, we're never done. Talk to me about, this is the Doing CX Right show. So let's start with, what does customer experience mean to you? Yeah, I love these questions, uh, Stacey. And you make me think, what does it mean to me? Um, because I can look at this from two angles, right? I can look mm -hmm. at it as the, uh, on, the, on the experiencing end, as a customer or a client. Uh, but also on the sales side. And, and part of my career, um, I also worked in customer development myself. I've been a salesperson and I've been an account manager. And so I've thought about this topic a lot, but I, I think what, um, what it currently, what it means to me uh, comes down to really the side of the interaction between the customer, the client and the and a salesperson, or uh, you can have also internal clients in organizations. It's mm -hmm. all about authentic human relationship. And um, and if that can exist, then whatever interaction is between those two people or between the two parties can uh, can flourish. So that's also why, you know, what was a moment in my life where I was asked to, if I was interested in a specific sales role, actually, and then I was also asked if I would recommend, it was an interview, if I would recommend a product to a client um, that uh, really didn't need it, but, uh, you know, I could prob probably sell it. And I really felt uh, totally, you know, that's not my thing. Um, what I prefer, what I really enjoy more is that whatever you do um, and, and, and also in your work, if you would be a, a salesperson, then it's all about um, taking the standpoint of the client and the customer and coming from a point of trust and really need and uh, and have a, a relationship that's built on trust and, and true impact. So I could talk about this topic for hours, but the human authentic interaction is central for me uh, in the customer experience and client experience. And that feeds also into the topic that I work a lot in, of course. I love that you said customer experience is also internal customer because people usually think it's just external, but there is internal. And that's why leadership is so important. Leading with calmness is important and confidence to really show up for others. So that is brilliant. And we're going to talk about that. And one more thing I realize that you talk about sales and I think selling, traditional selling is dead relationships, what you said, is in. Yes. So let's talk about customer service agents and salespeople. They deal with a lot of customer complaints. They deal mm -hmm. with 
challenges every day. So you have written about dual awareness and the adaptability paradox. Can you explain what does that mean? Sure. Well, maybe it's easier if I then first start with an overarching framework that we uh, also write about in our book. And you're referring to our book, Deliberate Calm, of course, because we have built a frame. Well, we have, we're presenting in, a, in our book the world in, uh, in a simple two by two. It's never that simple, of course, but we try to simplify for the sake of explana- explaining uh, what dual awareness is about. And if we would look at the world, through the lens of uh, high stakes, low stakes situations in familiar and unfamiliar territory, then you you can see the grid in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, High stakes, familiar territory, high stakes, unfamiliar, and low stakes, familiar and unfamiliar. Now, a lot of the time in the working context, we play in those top two boxes. High stakes, be it familiar, something we know, execution modus or unfamiliar. And increasingly so, we find ourselves in unfamiliar territory because the world is becoming more complex and the demands are increasing and uh, also the unpredictability of what what we need to do uh, is increasing. And the paradox comes in 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 the top right box, high stakes unfamiliar territory. And why do we call it the paradox? Uh, That is because in high stakes, unfamiliar territory, situations where we actually do not have the skills, we do not know how to respond. So we need to keep an open mind and we need to keep, um, we need to stay connected with people. We need to learn on the go. That's exactly where it is the hardest to do because uh, then our bodies start start to respond. Our brain starts to respond uh, because we feel we may actually be in a danger zone, even at work. I mean, we are maybe not physically really in danger, but that's how we respond. And so the paradox is when we need it most to stay open and calm and connecting mm-hmm. uh, and learning and adapting, that's when it's hardest to do. It's already hard when we are in, in high-pressured situations and we do have all the skills, but it's even harder when we don't know and that's what this is about. I imagine people are craving the skills to stay calm when a customer or an employee, or it could be a boss, is irate. They're angry. So yeah. what are actionable tips that people can do in that situation? They don't want to lose their cool. Yeah, and that is very hard to do, Stacey. So uh, the dual awareness um, that I uh, I didn't explain yet, um, I just explained the framework, but the dual awareness comes into play here. And when we talk about dual awareness because we mean, you know, you need to not only become aware and skilled of what happens with you and, and in, inside of you uh, when you feel stressed or when somebody is shouting at you, um, that may cause you to be very nervous and you just want to be kind and you want to be, uh, people, you want that people like you as well. So that inner awareness, what does this situation do to me? But the other side of the dual awareness is what does the situation require? What does the situation ask for? So if you are in a, in a, in a conversation with a boss or with a client and that client is very angry and starts shouting at you, and you are in that moment, you realize, hey, this is an interesting situation where I actually now feel stressed. 
the way you use, the way you apply these, uh, these skills is first of all, also ask yourself, what would this situation require? And this situation is the person shouting at you. Now, that, is, that situation is not helped most of the time by getting very nervous or actually shouting back or fighting. Mm-mm. And in a way in itself, that is already an emotion regulation technique but also becoming aware of what is, does this do to me? So often in those situations, you start sweating or you feel nervous and you don't know what to say anymore. Now, one of the skills uh, that we talk about in the book is of course, keeping yourself, uh, getting yourself to a calm state. Because in a calm state, that's the place where you can actually tap into your brain resources the best. Because yeah. if you don't stay calm, you default to what you know and you actually respond in a in the way you always responded before. And most of the time, that's not effective. And I mean, I always default to uh, applying breathing techniques to, to get me to calm. But then, of course, you have to respond. And uh, one approach that we describe in, in depth in the book is um, applying pivoting from a mindset of protection or a mindset of limitation or a mindset that is mm. fixed to a different mindset of curiosity and openness and uh, asking questions. And that is very easy to learn. It's not always easy to apply because in the pressure, as we said, it's very hard to do. But if you practice with that, you get better at it. And if you remember that if somebody is shouting at you, and indeed, if you work in customer uh, service departments, sometimes that happens, maybe often it happens, that's not easy. But remember, everybody wants to be seen. And I had a wonderful experience le- recently myself, actually, where this was deliberate calm and action applied to me because I became impatient. I thought I had somebody with a bad intent on the phone. Um, mm. And so I really became impatient. And the person on the other side of the line stayed very calm, asked questions and let it go. And eventually you calm the other person down as well. And so people want to be seen, people want to be heard, uh, want to be heard. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's a very difficult job. If you do these types of jobs, you also need to take care of yourself. Because if you do that for a whole day, and you have many of these occasions, then it sucks the energy out of you sometimes, right? So one of the other tools that we describe in the book is that you need to take care of yourself and also the foundations, you know, you need to recover. And a lot of the times we see leaders forgetting about recovery. Yeah. Yeah. As a leader of people who are customer facing and they get a lot of complaints, they get a lot of questions, there is high stress. Do you believe that leaders need training? I mean, what you're talking about seems intuitive, but we know it's not practiced enough. How do you mm-hmm. instill this in the workplace so that there is more calmness and that the customer actually can vent, can be angry, but lead with an end with an, an outcome that is mutually valuable? Yeah. No, I, you know, some leaders may do it naturally and it seems intuitive, but I do know that uh, actually it is not that intuitive. Uh, and not that easily practiced if you do not uh, train for it. So the data mm-hmm. always gives me the evidence, you know, what is happening. And there are different data points that, uh, that I've seen through the research that I do. On the one side, I, I see that many people are suffering with anxiety and insecurity. So you really need to learn how to 
to, to build a relationship, all, uh, but not in, in good days, but also in bad days. That's where it matters most, right? Having difficult conversations. Almost every human being finds that uh, tough. Of course, that's why they're called difficult conversations. But you, you need to have those. And, um, and, and getting training, not only for the simple things that I just mentioned, but also um, basically understanding that um, as a leader, the way you impact the teams as a use impact on how they perform. As a leader, you need to take care of yourself uh, and also of uh, the agenda that you need to lead. But as a leader, you also need to learn how to stand on the balcony and change course. Mm. But you need to, you know, there is the the day-to-day execution of work, but also the thinking about tomorrow. And I see a lot of that currently that many organizations are actually standing on two different, um, or on a crossroads. I don't know if that's the right word to use. On the one side, the business needs to keep going. On the other side, you need to think about tomorrow. And there's a lot of change happening. Technical development, technological development. Uh, there is a lot of uh, chaos uh, and, and uncertainty outside. And those two different situations require different approaches. And then the other thing that I would love to emphasize is also leaders also have the role to stop the, you know, one of the things that we found in research from the McKinsey Health Institute, that uh, there is, uh, people are in distress and experience burnout symptoms. But 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 mm-hmm. another thing that they also experience, um, which was a key driver of burnout symptoms, is toxic workplace behavior. And we thought, well, that is interesting, but is that actually a big problem? So we wanted to know, is this then what's the size of this issue? And we saw that one out of four in the research that we did indicated to experience that. And 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 often there is a, also a cascade of stress in organizations. We do not think that people go to work to be uh, terrible people, right? But under stress, behavior may become uh, uh, less positive, let's say that. And all those things, becoming aware of that and uh, becoming aware of uh, the skills that you, that you actually need and that you can train to lead with deliberate calm, which, which by the way, is important. Um, I think it is totally lacking in organizations. I think organizations slowly become more aware and uh, and they see the need, but not many organizations have uh, this uh, leadership development in place. But it's hugely important uh, to do so. Mm. The other thing that I know from my um, uh, research many years ago is that uh, this cascade of, you know, if you are inspiring leadership or not inspiring leadership, that cascades in the organization. So as a leader, you impact the culture very much so. And that feeds into behavior, that feeds into performance and eventually, of course, also to your business performance. There is quite a bit of research actually about uh, customer satisfaction and employee engagement. Uh, It's one data point that... uh, that just exists. So, um, yes, if people yeah. still need to be convinced, then um, I would say Google it. But there is a, really a lot of data on that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is there a case study that you've seen around that employee experience delivering better customer experiences when you are mentally healthy and nurtured and calm? So that one I have not yet seen. I think we're in early stages there. But an employee engagement is another term that is existing for many years, which means uh, when employees feel engaged and proud and committed to their organization, 
that is related to also better customer uh, service and customer experience. What we do know is that um, well-being and a positive uh, climate of inclusion and sustainable work, etc., that that is related to engagement. So in that sense, it's all uh, connected to each other. But the particular case, I think we're not far away from that, to be honest. And as a matter of fact, uh, we just uh, yesterday launched a report or is happening today in collaboration with the business in, com- in the community in, uh, in the UK around the, the value that you create through well-being. And that includes the link with engagement. It includes the link with retention, attrition, and also performance. Mm-hmm. And I'm very happy to share that because um, it's, uh, it's absolutely uh, critical, but, uh, but we're also uh, clearer by the day on what it means for organizations and for their productivity. Absolutely. I write a lot and speak a lot about the heart and science of customer experience. And so this is so much to the heart, bringing the heart to business. It's, it goes beyond the hard data and science of business. So I, yes, want to see that and share what you, uh, the study. Yes. Are there tools that you talked about training and, and, leaders equipping their teams. Are there any tools, platforms that you like to help with this? So I can, of course, not recommend one platform or tool or, um, or organization. Um, there are many around. Actually, um, the listeners can also look at uh, our own open platform. Uh, so okay. I can recommend our own that's uh, freely available and freely accessible uh, where we um, we have actually, um, we are sharing tools for health and well-being uh, and also interventions that work. But um, these particular skills that we talked about, uh, they can be trained um, and we have successfully trained also, we've studied it. Um, I have uh, uh, also a paper on that. But there, um, it is possible if you, um, and actually it's, it's relatively easy to start with this. We had one uh, case study uh, with a pharmaceutical company where we uh, trained a couple of thousand people, um, half an hour a week for three months and virtually. And, and what we saw is that uh, the uh, leadership um, behaviors improved, but also the well-being improved seven and a half times versus a control group. And we and that was not only the impact of their own perceptions, but also the impact of multi-rater perce- perceptions. So, um, mm. yes, it can be done. It just, uh, mm. I hope more and more organizations will bring this uh, to their people. Yeah. I believe having led people in different organizations and high stress roles, contact center agents as well, that by giving them, creating a sense of community where they have each other, peer-to-peer support, education, that is an easy way to equip them as being in stressful jobs, how they can connect with each other, not just us in the headquarters spot. Do you agree? Yeah, I, community is extremely important. And uh, and having uh, people you care for and uh, you enjoy working with. And, and, and one of the uh, things that I didn't mention, but everybody's heard the term, uh, is uh, the psychological safety that you create in the, uh, yeah. in the team setting, right? That, that goes beyond just having friends and communities but also within the team, the environment where people feel uh, they can be themselves. 
So I totally, uh, we know there is also research. It's so important uh, to create that. And um, and yeah, we know when it's absent, uh, it also is uh, really hurting people. So um, when, especially yeah. when there is um, an experience of, uh, of toxicity or exclusion. Yeah, so I agree with you, Stacey. Yeah, and I also see that when we don't provide a community for the team internally, it could be through technology or intentional meetups, happy hour, sharing openly and and with safety as you talk about. When you don't do that, not only do they quietly quit, not only do they stay, you know, disengaged and often leave, worse, they go on social media and they talk about the toxic environment and you have no control over mm. what they say. And now customers are reading that. So there's this amplification effect. Yeah, that's possible, right? And um, uh, and you see it happening. So um, that's also why uh, more and more research you can find on the external information indeed is a platform or there's another platform Glassdoor and more and more you see it in social media but there's also more research that looks at outside in uh, you know what what are people telling about this organization and are these organizations performing uh, well there's there will be research coming out from oxford soon on that and so absolutely and that said um, of course i think the onus is not only on the organization i think it's very important but also as individuals, there's a lot that you can do. So even if you if you feel isolated and you have a role, uh, a hybrid, and you're not connected, it doesn't only need yeah. to come from the organization. It goes both ways, right? That's a huge point because, yes, we need to depend on leaders to create a culture for us, but we also have to own our own customer experience, our own employee experience. And so it is a two-way street and such an important point. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> what about the return on investment, the ROI? A lot of times executives are resistant to invest in the tools, the technology for the psychological safety, for building confidence and training on that mental well-being. What do you recommend to people who are in companies who are really eager to be a change agent and convince? Mm -hmm. Great question. So I have we have quite a few resources that they can use. And, and I assume we will add it maybe to this podcast where people can download it. Um, but if they can't find it, they can also um, look up the papers from the McKinsey Health Institute. The one paper is on employee burnout um, mm -hmm. that I co-authored with others. Uh, it's easily to be found also on the internet if they Google it. But there um, we are presenting our research that we've done in 15 countries to the drivers and the state of health and well-being. And uh, the report that I just mentioned on the, um, the value uh, proposition or the, the, you know, what the business case is for health and well-being, that is the other report that we just launched uh, today. Mm. And um, I have something in the pipeline, Stacey, because after the 15 countries last year, this year we go to 30 countries and we are actually measuring holistic employee health. So we include not only mental health, but also social 
spiritual, um, physical, and financial uh, well-being. And uh, we include more drivers to see, well, what is important and what drives it. And those studies, uh, we put a lot of advanced analytics behind it. They also uh, are making the case for the conversations that they can have with their CEOs. There is uh, more and more research coming that shows uh, coming out that shows the impact of interventions, individual interventions, and there is more research showing that if organizations don't take care of their people, they that will not be good for their organization. Now, the last thing I wanted to say is that there is a new generation that is, um, of course, increasing in the, in our organization, the Generation Z. And by 2025, it will be almost 30% of our working population. And they gradually, but certainly, uh, are changing also uh, and voting with their feet. They want to work for organizations that take care of these topics and other topics, also diversity and inclusion. And so the organizations that do a good job there and a true authentic job will be able to keep the talent and attract the best talent. And, you know, that's what you need as an organization. Without talent, you're nowhere. So... Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff that they can find. So I hope these, uh, these will help people uh, navigate to some good content. Um, yeah. Yes. I love how you said they're voting with their feet. Oh, that is, that is gold. Well, as we're getting to the end here, rapid fire questions. So first of all, if I had tons of CEOs and leaders in my room right now who are listening, what's the one takeaway you want them to remember? Uh, that, that what we talked about, deliberate calm and health and well-being can be developed and can be achieved if you put the effort in. Mm. And what is the best leadership advice you've received or given? Do what you really like and work with the people you enjoy working with and care about. Mm, I love that. And I'm learning that more and more as I age. <laughs> time is precious. Spend time in the room with people that really matter. Yeah. That's I'm huge. there with you, Stacey. Totally. Don't waste your time. <laughs> <laughs> no. Speaking of time, if you could go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self, based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Jackie? Ooh, I would tell her, be a bit kinder to yourself. Um, so self-compassion was a huge unlock for me at my 30 year of age. I never was uh, and still struggled, but uh, I would say start start being kinder to yourself at a younger age. Even at 20, did you find that same that same feeling of needing more self-care and more kindness? Yes, I was totally lacking self-compassion. I was very strict on myself. So I went mm -hmm. actually uh, wow. to a training with Kristen Neff, who is fam world famous uh, on self-compassion. And uh, that was, I think it was nearly 30. And it was a huge unlock. Yeah. Oh, I love that. In fact, Daniel Pink, who uh, writes The Power of Regret, he also referenced her on my show. And there's um, a lot around this topic. I'm going to have to meet her somehow. <laughs> Me too. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And I will include your books and links to find you, read the books and help inspire more people to use the lessons so that we show up as better leaders, better employees, better colleagues, better friends and family members in society. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. And thank you for this wonderful conversation, Stacey. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, Doing CX Right.